uh, turn with me over to the book of Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 5. We're going to continue our series on prayer. We're going to look at some more prayers in the, in the way of songs that David wrote. Psalm 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. David is speaking, and he says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. Verse 3, in the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. Lord, help as we study. There is a sense of intensity in David's prefacing comments as to why he needs God to help now. If you look at the rest of the psalm, he's talking about his enemies who are already planning his demise. They speak evil of him and they want him to die. And he realizes he's facing circumstances that are really beyond his control. There are people, things that are bigger than he can handle. Though he is a very skilled warrior and though he is an excellent ruler, there are things that are are beyond his ability to manage. And if you have, if, you, if you've been a Christian just for a little while, you'll recognize that those things will regularly appear to you. Things beyond which you can manage. And David knows exactly where to go. He said, I, I know no man can fix this. So I'm coming to you, O oh God. I've got an enemy that has it out for me. And I need you to help me desperately. And so you sense intensity. Hear my cry. I'm getting up in the morning to let you know that I'm serious about this. I need your assistance, my groanings. Give heed, give heed to my words, O oh Lord. And if you, if you haven't prayed this kind of prayer, you just haven't lived long enough yet. Every Christian is going to find themselves at a place where the enemy just seems to be a little bit more formidable than they thought. Now, David was dealing with human beings. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Paul says, but against principalities and powers, rulers and dark places, things that are unseen that we have to struggle with. And so anytime I have a disagreement with a person, it's not the person that I need to focus on. It's what's happening behind it. What's going on here in the spirit that I need to wrestle before I begin to joust with my friend or my enemy. How do I deal with the unseen realm? And there is an enemy. There's a devil. His name is Satan. And he hates you. He would love nothing more than to see you eradicated from the planet. Even you who have really no real impact on his kingdom, you're not trying to overthrow his rulership in certain sectors of society. You just happen to look like God, and he doesn't like God, so he wants to take you out. He can't reach God, but he can get you. And he's, 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 he's good at it. In, in the garden, God said to the serpent as he deceived Adam and Eve, he said, you're going to crawl on your belly all the days of your life and you will lick the dust of the earth. Which means he eats humanity for lunch. What are we but dust? That's all we are. We are glorified mud pies. Our flesh is just that. It's just, 
It's just dust because when it passes, it goes back to what it came from. The dust of the earth. What we are in the spirit is in the image of God. Down here, there's something that is intended to be imperishable. And so that remains. But this body, it just fades on into the dirt. And he eats human beings for lunch. Those who are unaware. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to quake at his presence. I don't. But I am mindful and watchful. He makes me aware all the time that he's there, whether it be through dreams I have where he's chasing me down, telling me he's going to kill all my kids. And, and you, you, might, you may say that, that's, that sounds terrible, Pastor. It happens all the time with me. It's no big deal. The first time it happened, I got on the phone with folk, and I said, what in the world is this? I said, well, you just, you just got on his radar because you're doing some stuff. I said, I'm not that important. Well, you don't know. You don't know. See, baby Jesus wasn't as formidable in his infancy as he would be in his adult life. But yet, what did the enemy try to do? Kill him at the age of two. He said, I'm going to take him out before he gets there. Tried, didn't get it. Tried. And so when there's a destiny on your life, don't be surprised that the enemy might come before you ever begin to enter into it because he knows some stuff sometimes we don't even know. He's formidable. Should not strike fear in our soul because our God is our provider and protector. But we, we, we have to understand that there is a battle that we are called to wage. A battle into which we must choose to run. And it's going to, it's going to, 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 to be painful from time to time. I believe in the passage that says no weapon formed against us will prosper. That doesn't mean it won't hit you. It might leave a bruise, but it won't do what it was intended to do. (laughs) Your pastor feels like he is in a 35-round heavyweight fight where only one of the people in the ring is a heavyweight. And it ain't me. I'm a 145-pound soaking wet kind of fighter. The other guy is 250 and 6'4", and I'm taking body blows every round. I feel that way sometimes. But, but when we were kids, we actually played with toys. Do you know what those are, toys? We played with toys, and there was this one toy my mama got me. It was, it was this clown thing that was inflatable, and it was heavy, heavily weighted in the, in the bottom. Yeah, that one. And, and it had, you, you fill it with water in the bottom, and, and you got to sock it and hit it, you know, and pound it. And every time you hit it, because it was weighted on the bottom, yet air in the top, you hit it, it go down, it come right back up. And that's the way I feel I am. The devil pops me, I go down, I go whoop, right back up. Go down, whoop, right back up. Doesn't mean that I don't feel the blows. But it does mean that victory is assured as long as I keep coming out for the next bell. And I have yet to not answer a bell. And so I know victory is assured for me because Christ has purchased it for me. So no weapon against the enemy is going to prosper against me, even though I might feel the pain of the battle on a regular basis. I know what it's like. And I know how to fight. And I'm getting better and more skilled at it every day. But there is a real devil who hates you, and you must become skilled 
If only that you do this today, what David inspired himself to do, pray like this, call out to your God because there is an enemy that is bigger than you. And the only way you are going to be able to manage the conflict is if he assists. So we're going to start from back to front. I believe verse 3 helps to define the first two verses, that he contextualizes when and how he calls out to God and then gives the method that he calls out to God. So he says, first, I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to, I'm going to get up in the morning, and you will hear my cry. Now, we can interpret that, that you will hear my prayer. We can interpret that two ways. One, that God will actually listen, that he will, he will be attentive to what we have to say. But because the, the psalm happens to be very aggressive in its tone, I don't think he's talking about what God's disposition will be when I talk to him. I think he's saying this, one thing is sure, if I don't do anything well, you're going to hear from me today. Because I cannot afford not to communicate with you and get your perspective on this day when I know how many enemies are trying to kill me. I've got to rise up early in the morning, and you you can guarantee this, it may not be the right kind of prayer, but you're going to hear from me. Because I need you. And there needs to be that kind of commitment. When you've got an enemy in your life, there needs to be that kind of commitment to say, God, you're going to hear from me. I may not know how to pray as I should, but you will hear from me. And the amazing thing is, if if you get in his presence, even if you don't know what you're doing, something good will happen. Something good will happen. He will reveal to you who you are. And it may not be pretty, but at least you'll get the opportunity to change. And that's better than not being there at all. So David said, I can't start my day without this. Now, this is not a sermon on this point to talk about that it's a really holy moment to get up in the morning to pray. There are no more holy times during the day in a 24-hour period. They're all the same. It's just the, the marching of time. But David realized, for me, he's saying, I've got to get up and order my life before God, before my day starts, so that I know how I can best approach my day with confidence, knowing that my God is with me when I encounter those obstacles, which are too, too big for me to manage. He said, this is the way I've got to do it. So I'm getting up in the morning. Now, I am a morning person. I didn't start out, th- start out that way. I didn't like mornings at all. I thought mornings would best start in the afternoon. <laughs> I thought that would be the best way to do it. But I had to become a morning person. Because my life started too early. And I had to deal with stuff that was serious too early. So I said, I need your help at at, at five. I've got to have it at five. So God, help me to become a morning person. Well, I changed my entire life so I could become that. Started working out more, ate better, and all of a sudden, my body clock changed. Now, I go to bed someplace around 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And I need six hours of sleep. That's it. So I wake up somewhere around 5, 5.30. And I'm <clears throat> ready to, to get with God and, and make, make things happen. My wife, on the other hand, is not a morning person. So about the time I'm getting up, she's going to bed. <laughs> so and I'm, I'm, I'm being exaggerative, but she's somewhere in the neighborhood of midnight to one. That's when she calls it quits. And she gets up a little bit later than me, eight, nine o'clock, and that's, that's fine. But... Before she goes to bed, she orders her day. She gets with her God. She prays. She reads her Bible. So there's no more holy time during the day than another. But David says, this is the way I choose to make sure that my day is planned well. I want to meet with my God. For my wife, her beginning starts at the end. 
Now, that's not unusual in that the Israelites' day started at 6 p.m., not 6 a.m. So their day started in the evening and went all the way around to the next evening. And so they would start their day with prayer and getting their order right sometime in the evening. That's the way life would begin for most Israelites. But David realized, I want to do this in the morning. All of that to say, do it whenever you can, but do it. Do it. David says the morning is good for me. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I, I, there's something about the morning in that it, it has a sense of beginning, at least for Western society. Again, for the Israelites, the Hebrews, it started at 6 p.m. the day before. But there's a sense of beginning. And John thought it was so important to make sure that people understood the priority of the word that he started his gospel like this. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. So it gives personality to the word in that it, it, it describes the word as Christ, if you keep reading. And he says the word was in the beginning. So I took from, from that passage that if God thought it was important to begin with the word, then I want to make sure the word is at the beginning of all my beginnings. So the word's going to be at the beginning of my marriage. I'm going to let the word define how a husband ought to be. The word's going to be at the beginning of how I manage my finances. I'm going to let the word define how I need to distribute resources, give, tithe, pay my bills on time, be a good example and witness of what it means to, to never have a late notice. Real quiet. Crickets, I hear. Crickets, I hear. The word's going to be at the beginning of my understanding of what it means to be spiritual. That I'm not going to let my own bias or hurts or misunderstandings of what the church should be influence how I define spirituality. And that there are a bunch of Christians that say, well, I love God, but I just don't believe in organized religion. So I don't go, I don't do that church thing. Well, Jesus died for the church. So what are you going to do? How do you reconcile all these passages? Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why do you let your opinion believe? Why do you let your opinion stand in front of the word? The word ought to be at the beginning of your spirituality. The word ought to be at all of your beginnings. Every one of them. David said in the morning, at the beginning of what I look at as my day, I'm going to make sure that you are right there. I'm going to invite you into my day. And then he says... I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to make sure in the morning that my, my prayer is ordered to you. So it wasn't just, it wasn't just a, I'm going to pray whatever I feel at the time. He said, I'm going to order my prayer to you. Now, I don't know exactly what it looked like. I don't know what David's order was. But whatever it was, there was a system. But we do know the, the, that Jesus gave us a model to pray. The disciples looked at Christ and they saw him talking to the Father all the time, and they were amazed. They'd never seen anybody communicate with God like that. Their leaders hadn't. And Jesus would stay up all night talking to the Father. And they just, they, they, after a while, they just said, could you teach us to talk to God like you talk to him? Because what you do is amazing. He says, sure. Taught him what not to do. He said, don't pray like this, like hypocrites, like the Gentiles who repeat over and over again, thinking that their magical words are going to somehow bring down spiritual blessing. You're not heard for in many words. But pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a beautiful prayer. And if you say it, you are better off than if you had not said it. If you just say it like that, you're going to be better off. Because there is some intent of your soul to worship. Yet I don't believe that that was the intent of Christ when he coined this phrase or this prayer. I don't think he was saying, pray this particular prayer just like this word for word. I think he was saying this is an outline around which you can build some some principles and flesh out the bones so that it makes sense for you. And so he said, pray in this manner. So we're going to go through this a little bit and see how we can be helped to order. What is the first word that is in the prayer? Say it loud. This is a reminder that you are not an only child. That your prayer life should not center around you. Jesus, he could have said, my father, but he said our. He wanted the disciples to know that whenever you enter into prayer, you're not alone. It's just not you and God. There are a whole bunch of people you need to bring in there with you and consider when you are praying. Do not make your prayer all about you. Secondly, Father, the disciples had never heard God referred to as Father before. Yahweh, Jehovah, that was his name, holy and pure. But his title was Adonai, which was Lord. But nobody had ever referred to him as Daddy. And now Jesus is telling them, this is how you approach him. You approach him as a father. And so when you come into prayer, you're coming into it realizing that you're a part of a family and that family has a daddy. And that daddy superintends over all the affairs of the household. And you approach him as you would with respect, like God Almighty needs to deserve, but with with familial tendencies and ties because he is your father. And you can request things of him and he will treat you like a son or a daughter. What a beautiful change. I mean, a shift that would forever alter their communication with God. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The term hallowed means uh, set apart, holy, different. And, And we really need to regard the name of God with reverence. We need to regard the title of God with reverence and make sure that we do not use the name of Jesus in a way that reflects our displeasure when something isn't right. His name is holy and needs to be regarded as such. And we probably ought not to use the title God in a way that doesn't mean anything. So, and I'm not being religious on this. I'm just trying to help you understand motivation. If you say, oh my God, you probably ought to mean that you're trying to invoke his presence in a situation where it is needful. Let me tell you why. Because people use either his title or his name so often without meaning that when they really do need it with meaning, when they use it, they don't believe it has the power to change anything so they have no faith to see their circumstances altered. You want to reserve that name for when it's really needed because it has inherent power. But we empty it of its power in our use of it by using it when it's not being used correctly. 
And then when we really need it, our minds don't believe it makes any difference when we use it. Are you listening to me? I'm trying to help you in your use of it. So I'm not trying to be the OMG police. I'm not. You don't go around when somebody says it saying, stop it, stop it. Don't do that. I'm just trying to give you some principles that amplify his presence in your words and bring the power that is intended to be in that name in, in, in all of his power to bear in your circumstances so that when you say it, demons go. In the name of Jesus, you got to go. You remember the sons of Sceva? That was That's a tough story. That's a tough story, Acts 19. Some fellas heard Paul casting out devils. And they thought, this is amazing. I mean, nobody has authority over devils. So they, they sat there and listened to what he said. In the name of Jesus, come out. That's right. That's what he said, right? Yeah, good. Okay, okay. They had a buddy who needed some deliverance. They invited their buddy over. Seven boys, all of them together, got their buddy, looked at him and said, you got demons. In the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, come out. And the demon said, Paul I know. Jesus I know. Now, who are you again? <laughs> so it was the person's use of the name that brought the power. It wasn't the name itself. Are you listening to me? It doesn't mean that the name doesn't have inherent power. It does. But because they looked at it as a formula rather than derived from relationship, and there are no formulas that somehow bring the power and presence of God. It doesn't work like that. You can pray as many prayers as much as you want with as many rosaries if you want, if you will. And I'm not using that in derogatory terms. I'm just saying that any kind of repetition that doesn't have relationship with it will not profit you. There is nothing about, that, about Christianity that's magical. Nothing. Magic is power without relationship. There's nothing about Christianity that's magical. Every bit of it is relational. And if you do not have a relationship with God that is viable and vibrant and, and current, then the power associated to change your circumstances will rarely be there. If it is, it's only because God decided to mercifully deliver you in spite of you. You want to make sure you regard that name with holiness. Holiness. Reference. And lastly, you want to make sure that the, the, um, the fourth commandment is followed with respect to that name. The fourth commandment is you shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So not only should we not say it without meaning, we shouldn't take it without meaning. Jesus, excuse me, God in the Old Testament said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, Second Chronicles 7, humble themselves and pray. So we are his people, New Testament-wise, who are called by his name and that we are called Christians. We ought to make sure that if we're going to take that name, we don't do it in vain. So if you're going to call yourself a Christian, live like it. Don't you take it in vain. Don't you go around wearing the label without having the life. Don't take it in vain. It's important that we observe this kind of priority in prayer when we come to him. Lord, you're amazing. And I thank you you put me in a family. There's nobody like you. 
I'm asking that you would help us, please, to be the kind of people who can best represent you and not ever take your name in vain. So we want to be credible in our witness. And help me to regard your name as being so holy that it never comes off my lips without power and meaning. Second, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. God, I want your perfect will to be done in my life today. I don't want my will, I want yours. And I want it as if I were in heaven, but I'm still on earth. So I want it it, it exactly as it would be if I were in heaven right here. So although you've already relegated me for eternity, for a place in heaven, and for that I'm grateful, I realize that while I'm here, my job is not just to be focused on where I will be once I die, but to make sure that I bring a little bit of heaven here while I'm alive. So I want you to make sure that heaven comes to my family, comes to my life, comes to my occupational pursuits. Heaven comes to everybody with whom I'm in contact. I want your kingdom to come on earth just like it is in heaven. Priorities. Getting your priorities in order. Making sure that it's his will and not your will. Now, in this moment that we've gone through in about 10 minutes worth of describing what prayer ought to look like from Jesus' perspective, haven't said a word about what you want. People ask me when I tell them how much, they ask me how much do I pray. I say, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes a day, but I'm supposed to stay in prayer all day, but, you know, concentrate a moment. And what do you say? 30, 45 minutes, what do you say? I mean, I, I'm pretty much through after three minutes. I say, well, that's the problem, see. All you've done is ask. You haven't related. Do you have anybody, um, anybody in, in your life who, like, always asks you for stuff? Is there anybody like that? Oh. What do you do when you see them coming? Mm-hmm. They haven't seen you yet, but you've seen them. What, 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 what do you do when you see them coming? It's one of these, oh, God, Aren't you glad God doesn't treat you like that? Yet we have relegated prayer to just asking him for stuff rather than relating. He's really merciful. He is so merciful. And it's not like we're ignorant. He gave us this pattern right here. And we just ignored it. So the only time we talk to him is when we want something. Let's make it different. Let's not let God always have to use his mercy to relate to us. Let's let him enjoy us every once in a while. It's hard enough as it is for him to enjoy us. Let's at least do what he said. Pray like this. Then we, after we prayed in worship, after we've understood his name and, and, and thanked him for it, and, and then we prayed his priorities into our life, then he says... Give us this day our daily bread. There are our needs. That's after we've done the first two because you can't really ask as you should until you get worship right and priorities right. You don't know what you need to ask for until you have his priorities down in your heart. And then once you do, you can begin to ask as you should. But you don't ask until you get those there because you are always asking amiss. God wants you to ask once you get everything else in order. And priority-wise, there are seven words. Give us this day our daily bread. 
And if you look, depending upon what version you got of the Bible, you look at the entire prayer, Lord's Prayer, there are 70 words. So if we were to appropriate percentages of emphasis that we need to give to certain things, one-tenth of your prayer life ought to be on what you want. You know what's consistent is that none of the other services gave me an amen on that point either. One-tenth. Seven words to 70 is one-tenth. But what do you say all the other time? Exactly. That's why we're having this conversation. Prayers about relationship and worship, not about getting what you want. Next. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, I don't know that you really know what you're saying when you say this. Because this is the most dangerous part of the prayer. You're in trouble if you pray this and don't know what you're saying. What you're saying is this. Lord, forgive me, just like I forgive everybody else. Is that what you really want to say? Now, it's not that you don't have the option. There, you have to say it. There's not an option here. You, you have to say, this is how you need to pray if you want to communicate with God. Because this is God's way of check and balance in your relationships. He wants us to have relational integrity when we come to Him. We can't just be vertically connected to Him, vertically connected to Him, and horizontally distant from everybody else. This cross goes two ways. We have to relate to people. And people offend us. And therefore, we must exercise forgiveness on a regular basis. And I don't know that there is any greater level of hypocrisy than you who have sinned innumerably. There are so many things you've done wrong. I've done wrong. The God for which God has forgiven us, can you even count them all? Are there enough gigabytes to contain just your life worth of sin? I don't think so. Yet he has forgiven you for everything. Yet one person did one thing to you that indelibly imprinted in your mind and soul and you can't get over it. He says, inexcusable. Inexcusable. If you don't forgive them, you don't receive forgiveness from me. Doesn't mean he's making a redecision to not forgive you. Just you don't receive it. You put a cap over your head, and what is supposed to not only flow to and through just stops here. God is interested in your relationship, so be careful about this part of the prayer. Because every time you pray it and you don't forgive, you're bringing down judgment on your own life. He's serious about this. Pray like this. You want to please me? You want to talk to God appropriately? Pray like this. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. God, don't let me go the wrong way today. Don't let me be led by my lust. Don't. Deliver me from me, oh God, I beg you. As I exit this place of prayer, I want to be on your path, not mine. Don't let me go the wrong way. Don't let me go into a ditch. Don't let me exit too early. Keep me on the right road. Let my feet follow the path of your word, I pray today. Let my heart be in line with your will. See, you can spend 25 minutes in prayer if you pray like this. And it's all about relationship and discipleship and getting you right. 10% is about what you need. 10% is about what you want. And lastly, yours is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Worship. You're amazing. Anything that happens good in my life, it's because you did it. 
I don't take any credit. None, none, none. You get all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. You're worthy of it, my God. So that's how I order my life, along with some other prayers that are found in Scripture. And I have different days that I pray different things because I can't fit everything in one day. And so whatever order looks like to you, get it done. Because this is the way David prioritized his prayer life. He said, I will order my prayer to you. Figure out how to make this happen. And then there are three categories that he, 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 three ways in which he communicated to God in this general summary of his morning order. He said, listen to my words, listen to my groanings, and heed my cry. He said, I'm going to talk to you, and I want you to listen to my words. But generally, God doesn't listen to our words as well as we would like if our words don't agree with his thoughts. That if we want things that he doesn't desire for us, then we probably aren't going to get them. I mean, we're the two-year-old who's asking their daddy for a BB gun. It ain't happening. Though we think it's really important for us to have one because Jimmy down the street does. It's not going to happen. Not, not, and, and every time I ask daddy for a horse, we lived in the suburbs. I want a horse, daddy, for Christmas. And he said, no, it's not. Well, why does Jimmy get it? whatever he wants? Because I'm not Jimmy's daddy. That's why. Mm, Trump card. Nothing I can say. God's your daddy. Other people can get what they may want. But God's your daddy. And he knows best. And so you need to make sure that your words would agree with his. And so I pray scripture. That's what I normally pray. And Psalm 112 is... A passage that I will pray for my kids starts in verse 1. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and, and, and who greatly delights in his commandments. Two things there, fearing God and being happy. You can fear God and not be happy about what he wants you to do. You can look at those commands and say, they are so burdensome, I wish I didn't have to do it. But I'm going to fear God and make sure my life is right anyway. You sour push you. You act like God put you in a straitjacket. What's wrong with you? Fear God and delight in the, in the commandments. I'm happy about the place he's put me in. The boundaries fall to me in pleasant places. I delight in it. As a result of fearing him and delighting in the commandments he's given me in Psalm 112, it says, the generation that comes, his children will be mighty in the earth, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. So I pray that over my children, but I realize it also points to my conduct at heart. That if I want my children to be most right, not just to be moral citizens, but to be mighty in the earth, it depends on my consecration. And so as I'm praying for my kids, Lord, make them mighty, I'm also looking to myself and say, Lord, I'm going to stay fearful of you, and I'm going to delight in your word every day so that my children can be what they need to be. So I pray his word because it already, it already says what he desires to do, and I don't have to rethink it. So listen to my words. Make sure your words agree with his. Secondly, my groanings. English or any language is flawed. It's all inadequate. That's why we always say, do you know what I mean? Because we're trying to make sure that the language felt what we were trying to communicate and that the person heard properly what we were trying to communicate, and we're not quite sure whether that, that really gelled. And so language just doesn't fit. And there are times when you feel so pressed that there's no way English 
Spanish, whatever your first or second language is, will ever suffice to communicate what's on your heart. And there's something down here that can only best be expressed by groanings. And if you haven't been to that place of prayer, you will be at some point. We're not talking about an emotional response. We're talking about hitting a wall of logic, not being able to communicate what you would like, and saying, God, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray, but I know you know what's down here. And the original Hebrew means musings or whispers. Musings are those things which are not said but felt in the heart. So there are things in silent prayers that was biblical in the Hebrew, Hebrew mindset. And then whispers are those things that nobody else can really hear. But you are saying to God, he listens to this down here, not just what comes out of your mouth. This is why the soldier, not the soldier, the the criminal who was crucified by Christ, and he looked at him and, and Jesus was there and he realized who Jesus was. And the criminal said, uh, Lord, when you come in your kingdom, remember me. And it's almost as if he was reluctant to even say it because he realized he wasn't worthy. And Jesus said, I hear you. Now, there was no, Jesus, I repent. Please forgive me for my sin. None of that. No perfect prayer. Just, um, I don't know how to say it quite, but whenever you come into whatever you're coming into, I, I sure would, would like to be with you if, if you let me. And Jesus heard the groan. There's something on the inside, a groan. And David says, Lord, listen to that as well as the words of my mouth and hear my cry. When you are desperate and English doesn't fit, and you feel so pressed of soul that you just want to not just weep in terms of water coming from your eyes, but you let out a sense that comes from down here, a God help, please hear my cry. The Lord will beckon and hurry to your aid. He will come in a hurry to assist you. These are legitimate ways of communicating with God. And we need to employ them and not be so polite in our Western Christianity. So ordered that I don't do that because I'm not that emotional. It doesn't have anything to do with emotion. It's called the way your soul is, is, is created to communicate with God. The beauty is that in the New Testament, God gives expression to the soul that goes beyond... that. that no longer is limited to just groanings. It's called tongues. And it's a beautiful way to communicate spirit to spirit. The Lord cares about you and is trying to equip you so that you can communicate to him well so that when the enemy comes, you can have the confidence that your God is backing you because you've been in his presence, understood his priorities, known his love and tender care, felt his shield round about you, and know that you have partnered with him in bringing his will to the earth. Therefore, there is no weapon that is formed against you that can ever prosper. Are you listening to me? Daddy, love you. Thank you for your goodness. I'm asking for your grace and mercy to attend our way and help us to be the kind of people who can learn to communicate with you well.